Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
good. Uh, very good. Now, um, again, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, one of our driving values here at Grace and Peace is passionate worship. We love to worship because God is worthy of everything that we can give. And so we believe that to worship rightly, we must worship with our head, our heart, and our hands. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, strength, and life. And so we want to encourage you to engage today. Engage in worship because the one whom we worship is worthy. So join us today. A few housekeeping duties. Uh, visitors, uh, again, if this is your first time here, we're so glad you're here. Uh, you'll see, I hope you got a handout. And so um, if you want to communicate with us in any way, there's a tear-out portion. So just put your name or and however you want to communicate with us. We would love to reach out to you this week. Uh, women's restrooms over here, men's restrooms through this door over here. So I uh, want you to feel at home. There's coffee, tea, whatever in the back. All of our small groups are starting again uh, here after the holidays. And so we would really encourage you to be a part of a small group because relationships are just crazy important. So it's not just coming on Sunday but it's getting involved in a community. And so you'll find uh, lots of information in your bulletin in the insert. And if you have any questions about, okay, where would I fit, just jot it down or go on the website, and we'd be glad to help you on that. This afternoon, 2 to 3 o'clock, on Google Meet, our pastor, Shane, is going to have a personal worship uh, seminar. So if you wonder, you know, what do I do all week as I try to uh, read the Bible and to pray, and, and I just don't feel like I'm getting where I need to go. Well, he is going to help you with that. There's a link that you'll need to get on the Google Meet. If you're on our newsletter list, open up that newsletter. You'll find it there. But if for some reason you're not on that list, you want to participate, then, uh, again, just on your bulletin, just say, hey, I want to participate, and we'll uh, get that information to you. Last but certainly not least, uh, this afternoon we uh, are participating with area uh, churches for a mental health awareness event, and Joshua Burdett is hosting that. You know Joshua, uh, no, no stranger to many of you, and uh, he is helping lead that, and we wanted to have Joshua tell you all about it. Yes, it is good to be back at Grace and Peace. I have a long history here at this church. Um, two of my children were baptized here, and I was an associate pastor at this church for several years, so it's good to see some familiar faces. Um, now I'm a coach and a counselor with Good Shepherd Soul Care, and we have partnered with um, four PTA churches in town. So we're getting like the whole band together to host um, Dr. Alan Noble today at 4 p.m. at American Stellara. And this event is, is, a, an important, um, is about an important topic because it's a place for us to hear about mental health and um, raise some awareness about that important topic. Um, it's something, if you know my story, that is um, very personal to me and has touched my family in very painful ways. And I know that it's also touched every family here. 
In fact, I know that whether you struggle with mental illness or seasonal depression or just occasional sad, bad days, every person in this room is carrying an enormous burden today. And every morning you have to answer the question, why am I getting out of bed? Well, Dr. Alan Noble, professor at Oklahoma Baptist University, also a Presbyterian in the PCA, has written this book called On Getting Out of Bed. And so we've invited him to come and speak to us today about how the Christian answer to that question, why we get out of bed every morning, about how the Christian view of life and suffering, um, how our faith, how the grace of God can be a help, can be one help among, among other helps, but can be a great help in times of suffering, in times of uh, crisis, depression, anxiety, mental illness, in times of grief, can be a help when we're walking with friends and, and community group members and church members through those things. And it can also just be a, a, a help for all of us every single day. And so this is the easiest event that I've ever had to sell. Um, there's, there's nothing to... Uh, there's no work to be done. All you have to do is show up at 4 o'clock at American Solera, um, order some drinks. They've got lots of dry January options if, if that's on your radar. Um, there are burgers for sale. Eat some food. There's going to be live music from New City Fellowship in North Tulsa. They're going to be playing some background jazz music. Um, and we're going to hear Alan speak for about 20, 30 minutes on this book, on getting out of bed. And so my hope is that all of those things food, drinks, music, fellowship, and this important topic will actually itself be a help to all of us on cold Sunday afternoons when we've been um, trapped at home for, you know, multiple snow days. Thank you, PPS. So um, I hope to see some of you there at 4 o'clock today. Thanks. Thank you, Joshua. Will you... Stand with me as we are called to worship. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 33, verses 1 through 8. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness he loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord by the word of the Lord the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their host he gathers the water of the sea as a heap he puts the deep in storehouses let all the earth fear the Lord let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. God calls us to worship. He calls us to worship for his glory, his honor, his praise, and for our good. So let's pray together that God would so befit us today that we might worship truly in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name, thanking you that you have chosen to meet us here today in the company of the believer. 
I thank you, Father, that you have given us opportunity to worship, for you are worthy. Together we cry, hallowed be your name. We want to see you as you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move within us and give us hearts to worship. Stand strong against our enemies. We pray that we might worship today in spirit and in truth. For your glory, to further your reputation, we pray. Amen. Let's respond to the call to worship with singing the doxology. The the word says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. And that's the Lord speaking to us. Let's, uh, let's worship him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by singing the doxology here. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.
God is my shepherd. I won't be wanting. I won't be wanting. He makes me rest. The fields are green. The quiet Shepherd's staff comforts me. You are my feast, the presence of enemies. Surely goodness follow me, follow me, house of God. of God forever, the house of God forever, the house of God forever.
was reading in the Gospels a story of where Jesus uh, goes to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, he doesn't find it to be a house of prayer and healing for the nations. He finds a den of robbers. He finds people who have put up uh, financial and um, spiritual barriers to people coming to God and experiencing his goodness and grace. And Jesus drove them out, and it says that he healed those who were there that were sick. I thought that's a great example of, of what we're doing at this point in the worship service when we come to God and pray. We're, we're asking that God would cleanse our hearts from any false reasons for being here, from any false motivations, from any sin that would hinder our worship. And we ask him to bring healing. We ask him to heal our hurts, our sorrows, our pain, and our suffering. And he is willing and able to heal. So let's go to him now and ask him to do that for us. Father in heaven, we come to you, the one who sits enthroned in light, the one that we sing about in the Revelation song, who is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And when we come into your presence, we cannot help but see the sin in our hearts. We see our uh, pride. We see our selfishness. We see uh, that when we come in here to worship, we come with false motives. We come with false ideas. We put barriers up in our own hearts to worshiping you. And we put barriers in front of other people, Father. We come with nationalistic pride that keeps the nations from coming to worship you. So we pray, Lord, that you would forgive them. We pray that in the name of Jesus, you would come and cleanse our hearts now so that we could worship you in spirit and truth the way that you intended. We pray that you would help us heal spiritually. We also pray that you would help us to heal physically and mentally and relationally, God. Uh, we pray for those who are sick, God, would you heal them? Uh, we pray for those who are anxious, would you comfort them? We pray for those who are depressed, would you shine light into their darkness? We pray for those who are lonely, would you be a wonderful counselor? Would you be a friend of sinners? Thank you, Lord, that you are here and you are with us and you are willing and able to answer these prayers. And so we give them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, trusting that you hear them and that you can and will answer us in your good time and your good way. We pray this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. My name is, my name is Shane Hatfield, and I am your pastor, and I am so glad to be here this morning to uh, lead you in worship. Um, this is normally a time we dismiss the kids. We're pausing. We're holding off on the kids for just a minute, just a minute, uh, because Amy B. R. Uh, Amy Duncan, come on up, our children's ministry director, is going to be sharing this morning, and we didn't want to send all the little kiddos back there without her. We wanted her them to hear what she is going to share this morning. Uh, we're going through a series on our, value, our vision and our values, and this morning we're going to talk about passionate worship. And I thought, who, who better to uh, share their passionate worship experience than Amy, who is our children's director and uh, who is also on our worship team. So I'm going to let Amy share a few minutes, and then she's going to do the scripture reading. And then, kids, you can follow her out as the Pied Piper goes to the children's area. I'll just do it because I'm short. Um, I'm so glad you guys are here today, and I appreciate Shane letting me speak for a moment about passionate worship. Um, 
I often, when I hear worship, I automatically think of music, and that's a part of it for sure, but that's not all of it. And um, what's already been said, we believe that worship is, passionate worship to your head, your heart, and your hands. And I was thinking about worship in the Bible and what that looks like, and I love, love, love the passage about Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman at the well, A, I think it's cool that he's talking to a woman who's not supposed to be. I think that's neat. But then I also think it's cool because he said there's a time coming and it's now here where the worshipers God is seeking are worshiping him in spirit and truth. And I was like, that's crazy that God's like seeking worshipers. He's looking for people that are going to worship him in spirit and truth. He's looking down. He sees Robin raising her hands and crying over the worship music, and his heart swells, and he's like, that's my girl. And that's exactly what he's seeking and wants from us. But it's not all just the emotive part, which is important. I think we have to have an emotional heart. That's what the spirit part is when he sees, when he says, I'm seeking worshipers that will worship in spirit and truth. The spirit is uh, the Holy Spirit, which we need, but it's also our own spirit, which is our creativity, our personality, our emotions. And he also does not neglect the mind. He says, and truth, spirit and truth. You To know the truth, you have to know who God is, not just about God, just that you can know God. And the best way to do that is through his word, right? It's to know him through his word. It's black and white. It's so much uh, that we can rely on. So um, God is seeking, is seeking those kind of worshipers. And in addition, the hands, like what does it mean to worship God with your hands? But that's exactly the kind of the outpouring of what we do. I think a lot of like City of Hope, I mean, talk about worship with your hands. That is a ministry that is all hands-on to help with very little like return from the people you're serving. But from the Lord, I imagine he's very pleased with that worship. And he looks at that ministry and those that help in that regard too and, and thinks, those are my people. That's what I want. So my prayer for myself, for our church, for our body, for the church as a whole, is to be those worshipers that God is seeking. And that when he looks and sees us worshiping in spirit and truth, it, it, he's just like, that's my jam. That's what I want. So I hope that we can be those people. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians 3, 16 through 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. four-year-old class, and a uh, class for five and six-year-olds. All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not God's word. It stands forever. So let's give our attention to it. Uh, we are talking about passionate worship, and, and as Amy alluded to, it's more than just worship in singing or worship in song. And I, that really hit home this week as I was preparing for this passage. I was, uh, I was uh, writing it, and I was making an application point about singing, and I kept making that application point, and it grew and grew and grew. And I was like, wow, this is really more like an entire sermon about singing, 
And so I decided I'm going to split this value up into two sermons. This morning, we're going to talk about worshiping God in general and what we do here in the worship service. And then next week, we'll actually talk specifically about singing and how we worship God through singing. So uh, if you have ever wondered what is the Christian theology behind singing and why do we worship God in song, then come back next week. If you have friends or family members that might be interested in hearing the Christian teaching on singing, then, then bring them back. It'll be a great time. So uh, this morning, we're going to talk about uh, passionate worship, and we're going to answer three questions. What is worship? Why do we worship? And how do we worship? Uh, what is worship? Why do we worship? And how do we worship? And kids, you can listen for an illustration from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, first, what is worship? Uh, Sinclair, Sinclair Ferguson uh, defines worship as, uh, he says it comes from the old English word worship, which means worship or worthiness, right? To say something is worthy means it is worthy of worship. It's worthy of our adoration. Uh, and there's a, a variety of words in Scripture that are used to describe uh, worship, and it's talking both about it, the inner uh, disposition of our hearts and the outer expression of that worship. Um, we, we, we see this in culture. Like uh, Friday night, several of us were at uh, Ramsey's concert. Ramsey, our drummer, played at the Belafonte on uh, Friday night. And, and as Ramsey would pluck away on his banjo in ways that I can't even fathom, when he was done, everyone would clap and they would cheer because what he was doing on the banjo was worthy. They were giving the proper adoration and respect for his banjo playing skills. They would not do that for my banjo playing skill because I have no banjo playing skills. It would be up there, me up there plucking around, banging around, and just making noise. It would not be worthy of worship. It wouldn't be worthy of applause. It would be worthy of you putting your hands over your ears and running out the door. Well, Christian worship is the recognition and response that God, who God is in his creation, in his providential care of this world, and his redemption as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is revealed to us through creation and providence and redemption, and then we give him the proper response. Uh, the words in Scripture describe bowing down, kissing toward, expressing reverence or awe, honor and glory, and serving God. The Christian idea of worship is giving God his due for who he is and for what he does. Now, the, the term worship is a, a word that we use often in religious or spiritual circles, uh, but the idea of worship is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's like, it's like water. It's something that we're all swimming in we don't realize. Uh, David Foster Wallace, who's a, a writer and an author, uh, he was giving a, a commencement speech at Kenyon College in 2005, and he opened it up with this little parable. He says there's two younger fish and these two younger fish are swimming along. And as they swim along, they happen to pass an older fish who's going the other direction. And as the older fish is swimming the other direction, he looks at the two younger fish and says, how's the water? And the two younger fish continue to swim along. And one looks, the younger fish looks at the other one and says, what's water? And, and Wallace uses this to describe these realities that are all around us. We're in it every day, but we can't see it. And worship is one of those realities. Worship is taking place all around us in our hearts, 
in the world, we just don't see it. But it's important. It shapes us and it shapes our world. And, and, and Foster Wallace goes on to describe this to these students. Uh, and it's so powerful. I'm going to read it. It's a little bit lengthy quote, but I think that you'll find it engaging. He says this. Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some uh, inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are your real, your tap real, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up confronted in a daily consciousness. Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being as smart, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, in the case of grief. It's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. Now, as Christians, we would disagree with uh, Wallace's relativism and his, his misunderstanding of sin, but he's actually hitting on a fundamental Christian principle that we are all created to worship. We are all created to find our, our worth, our meaning, our value, our identity in something. And we develop rituals and practices to engage with that thing in worship that is going to give us our meaning, our value, and our identity. And that is worship. And the question we have to ask ourselves is not if we worship, but what do we worship? To what do we look to for our ultimate meaning and value and purpose? What is worship? What is worship? Worship is finding um, finding God <laughs> or, or something like God that gives us our meaning, our value, and our, de- our identity and trying to tap into that in different ways and different avenues. Well, Foster Wallace is hitting on what the Bible teaches. 
He's, he's sitting on why we worship, and that's the second thing we want to look at. Why do we worship? Why do we have to look to these things to give us meaning and value and purpose? Well, what, uh, what I want to do now is just take you through a biblical theology of worship from cover to cover. Uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates Adam and Eve and everyone born after them, from them, as worshipers. He created them, he created them to worship and serve him in the garden. And, and there in that garden, he gave them a great purpose. He said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with my image. I want you to subdue all of creation. I want you to glorify me and enjoy me through everything that you see. I want you to work the ground and keep it. There's only one thing you can't do. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then in Genesis 3, we read that Satan tempted them to eat from that tree. And they did. Uh, they didn't trust God to give everything that they needed. They trusted uh they trusted Satan. They trusted themselves. They trusted this tree. And when they did that, they fell. And, and sin entered into this world. And sin broke our hearts and our minds and our hands so that instead of worshiping and serving our creator, God, who loves us and gives us everything we need, we worship and serve creation. And so at that point, the whole of human race, everyone who would be born after Adam and Eve became false worshipers. And this, this idea of false worship, it, it, it's the idea of worshiping a creation instead of the creator. And, and Paul talks about it in Romans 1. He says, even though we see God's eternal power and divine nature in creation, we worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. And that leads us into sexual morality. It leads to evil, malice, slander, maliciousness, gossip, boasting, pride, faithlessness, foolishness, heartlessness, and every other sin we can imagine. The sin underneath every sin that we have is the sin of false worship, of worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Looking to the things in this world to give us life and meaning and purpose rather than God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the good news of the Bible is that God himself is <laughs> seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth. But he doesn't seek from afar. He actually uh, seeks, pursues up close. And he has done that all through the Bible and all through history. Uh, from cover to cover, uh, the good news of the gospel that we find in the Bible is, is, a, is a story about God rescuing us from false worship and bringing us into true worship. Uh, God, uh, when God goes to meet Abraham in the wilderness, he is a, he's a wandering Aramean. He is a pagan worshiper. And God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, a great people. I'm going to give you a great home, and you all are going to worship and serve me. And your, your people are going to go into Egypt, and they're going to be slaves there for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But they're eventually going to be rescued, and they're going to come out, and they're going to worship me. And that happens, and these people, they go into Egypt, and they're enslaved, and they worship false gods, and they, um, they're, uh, they're lost. And God raises up Moses to come and rescue them, and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go that they may go to the desert and do what? Worship me. 
And God brings them out to worship him. He rescues them and he gives them these ten rules to follow. And the first, of those, the first four of those ten rules are all about worship. And the first one is to have no other gods before me. And, and all the rest of the Old Testament is uh, the struggle of God's people to worship him and not to worship other gods. And we see that they continually are faithless. They continually worship and serve other gods rather than the creator and savior, Yahweh. Just like us, their hearts and minds and hands were tainted by false worship. They needed a a worshiper that would seek them and rescue them. And that's where Jesus comes in. That in Jesus, God himself came and put on flesh. The, The creator actually put on the creation to rescue us from false worship. And everything that Jesus did, he was a true worshiper of God with his hands and his heart and his head. Uh, When Satan came to tempt him in in the wilderness, he didn't give in like Adam did. He said, it is said in God's word that you worship him alone. He was a true worshiper. And he offered true worship to people. In in John 3, uh, Nicodemus, a religious man, came to him and wanted to know how to get in the kingdom. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Faith, religious, false worship will not rescue you. And then in uh, John 4, Amy didn't know I was going to talk about this, but in John 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well who's a Samaritan. And he offers her the true living water that comes from worshiping and serving him alone. And then in John 6, Jesus is ministering to crowds, and he's uh, breaking bread, and he's talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. What is he doing? He's offering them true worship. And then in John 7, Jesus stands up at the feast of the Jews and he says, If anyone comes to me and believe, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, rivers of living water, that's what Ezekiel said flows out of the temple. What is he offering? He's offering true worship to people who are false worshipers. You see that all through Jesus' ministry, that he is coming with the good news He's a true worshiper, worshiping God in spirit and truth to rescue false worshipers like us. And on the cross, we see Jesus sacrificed for us. Sacrificed for our sin of false worship so that we could be saved from it. So we could be rescued from that sin. And then 40 days later, Jesus is resurrected as this new creation. To, to worship and serve God as the, the first fruits of God's offering for us and for a new creation, a creation transformed for true worship. And then Jesus ascends into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God, worshiping with us and for us. And then one day, someday, Jesus is going to come again, as we sang about, where he is going to bring heaven to earth and our worship and God's worship will be one and we will worship God face to face in the garden the way that he created us to worship him. The whole narrative of the Bible, the whole storyline of the Bible is a story about God coming to worship with his people. That's why we can't avoid worship. It's what we're created for. It's what we're saved for. It's what we're being transformed for. And it's what we will do in heaven when Jesus returns. So how do we engage in true worship now? 
that Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, that the word of Christ dwell, must dwell in us richly. Uh, this word of Christ could be the words of Christ that we get in Scripture. Um, it could be the teachings of Christ. Uh, but most probably it is, it is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ that is unfolded in Scripture. As we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we believe his, de- his life for our life, his death for our death, his resurrection for our resurrection, his second coming for our worship. As we believe that and we put our hope in that, the word of the gospel dwells in us. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us. God actually makes a home in us as we make our home in the gospel. And we are rescued. And we're transformed. And what happens is, is that our heart, our mind, our hands, everything we have begins to be used to worship and serve God. We're transformed by worship, for worship. Uh, I I saw a great illustration of this this week. There's a story about uh, Glenn, I'm going to say this name wrong, but I think it's Glenn Kane or something like It's K-E-A-N-E. I don't know. He was a, Glenn was a famous animator for Disney. He was also a Christian. And he talked about how uh, whenever he, he did the drawing of the beast, as the beast was being transformed in Beauty and the Beast from this um, hideous, scary, um, ox-looking beast into a human. And Glenn says that as he was drawing this transformation of the beast, from a beast into a human, it gave him this, it reminded him of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has gone. And so he said he wrote that on his exposure sheet. As he was drawing this drawing, he looked at it every day and he wanted to, to, to really just encapsulate what it looks like to be transformed into a new creation. What was he doing? He was worshiping God. He was using his his head, his heart, his hands had been transformed through the gospel. And he was expressing it in in this transformation of the beast into a human. Through the gospel, God transforms us. You see, worshiping false gods actually distorts us. It makes us less than human. It makes us beasts. Whatever you worship, you will love and you will become like what you worship. Any sort of false worship is going to twist us and distort us and destroy the image of God in us. But what God does come when he saves us is he transforms us and he renews us into the image of God. We become his children. We become transformed. We grow from one glory into the next as we behold the gospel. And then as we do that, um, everything that we've done becomes an act of worship. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, does, does the word of the gospel dwell in our heart? Does it dwell in your heart? Does it dwell in your heart richly? Well, if you're here this morning and, and, and it doesn't, then here's the chance to cry out and say, God, save me. I've been worshiping money. I've been worshiping politics. I've been worshiping sex. I've been worshiping pride. I've been worshiping all these other things, and it's destroying me. Jesus came to rescue you from that. And to transform you into something beautiful and glorious that you were created for. A true worshiper. 
That's passionate worship. That everything, we are transformed by our worship. And so at Grace and Peace, worship is not one thing that we do amongst many. Worship is central to who we are and what we do. Uh, when we talk about, like we said, our vision is we, we exist to see grace change everything in Tulsa and beyond. What we, what we want to change is what people worship. And so in our evangelism, we're calling people to worship and serve the true and living God. Uh, as John Piper said, mission exists because worship doesn't. So we call people to worship and serve God. Um, uh, when we talk about um, last week, our, our other value, we talked about being gospel-centered, right? Um, and we said that gospel-centeredness means the gospel is, is not just the ABCs of Christianity for us. It's the A to Z. It, it, that everything we do focuses on the gospel. And what the gospel is doing for us is rescuing us into true worship from false worship. And so when we're, we're doing evangelism or we're doing discipleship, we're trying to help people engage in worshiping and serving the true and living God. Uh, you know, as I'm talking with people, whether it's Christian or non-Christian, but especially people who are outside of the church, especially people who don't come to a, a Christian worship service regularly, uh, if they tell me, yeah, I don't go to church, I don't go to worship, then I'll ask them, then what do you worship? And they look at me kind of funny. Like, that's kind of an odd question. Uh, that's the reason why I ask it, because I don't think people realize that if you're not, if you're not coming to worship the Christian God regularly, then what are you worshiping? You are worshiping something. Christians, if we're not coming to worship God regularly, then we're worshiping something else. It's not a question of if, it's a question of what. And so in our dis discipleship and evangelism, we call people to come and worship and serve God. And when they come here and they, we engage in this worship service, what we're actually doing is a reenactment of the gospel. It's a re-presentation of the gospel. It's a reenactment of the gospel. Think about it. We have a call to worship. Why do we have a call to worship? We have a call to worship because there's a God who calls us to worship him, who has created us to worship him. And so every week we're responding to God's call to worship. It's not my call. It's not the elder's call. It's actually God's call to worship. And as we come into this presence, we pray that God would be here with us, that he would answer that call, that he would answer that promise. And he says, where two or more gather together in my name, there am I with them. So we believe that God actually comes and dwells in this place with us through his spirit. That there is a divine encounter that happens when we're here in the name of God. And he speaks to us. We sing his praises in the songs. We don't just pick any random songs. We pick songs that sing of God's character, that sing of God's work, that lead us to praise him for who he is and for what he's done. And as we're praising him for who he is and what he's done, then we see our sin and we see our neediness. And so we come to God and we pray that he would heal, forgive our sin and he would heal us. And he does. Then we hear a, a good word through the scripture. He communicates us with us through scripture. And then we pray as a response to that. And then we respond by re confessing our faith, which we'll do in a little bit. And we respond by taking communion and by giving our tithes and our offerings and then by singing his praises again. And then as we go to leave, we don't go as uh, just any old person. We go with God's blessings. We give a benediction. 
and then we take that benediction out into the world. And we go out into the world, what do we do? We try to worship and serve God out into the world. And then we come back the next week and we gather together and we do it again. And as we do that over and over and over again, that transforms us into his children that worship and serve him wherever we go and whatever we do. It's habitual. It's habit forming. It's shaping. Uh, worship, we like to say, worship is not um, worship is not performative. When we come here, we're not performing worship in hopes that God would be pleased with us and bless us. That's actually a pagan notion. Worship is not performative, right? Worship is a means of experiencing God's grace. Worship actually shapes us. It actually changes us. Because of what God has done for us, that's why we worship him. And it's, it's habitual. It's, it's habit forming. Um, I, heard a, I heard a story once about a little girl who came up to her, you know, who came up to her pastor after worship. And she said to him, Pastor, after you read the scriptures, you always say all men are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field and the grass withers and the flowers fade. But God's word doesn't forever. Why do you always do that? And he looked at her and he said, so you could do that right there. That the word was indwelling in her richly. It was hidden in her heart. That's why we come back here week after week as we, we reenact the gospel. So the gospel would transform us, so it would indwell us richly and change all of us. We, we worship God with our heads, right? There is a content to our gospel that we, we, we draw from the scriptures each week and we recite together. We don't walk through those doors and leave our heads at the door. We engage our mind in worshiping God. We worship God with our heart. As the world, word dwells in us richly, it changes what we love. It renews our affections. So hear me, guys. We don't check our emotions at the door. We bring our emotions in. We express them. We bring them to the Lord, and we express them. We worship God with our hands. As the word of God dwells in us richly, it changes what we do. It renews our worship so that we worship God in word and deed. And so we embody that as we bow our heads, as we lift our hands, as we lift our voices, as we come to the altar. We embody the gospel in community. And then we teach people how to worship God personally when they leave. We want all of life to be done as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Through our, our corporate and, and personal worship, we're transformed into people who worship God with our head and our minds and our heart for the glory of God and for the good of others and for the good of ourselves and everything that we do. And as we do that, we learn to surrender ourselves more and more to God's grace. And we experience more and more grace in our lives. Because as we said last week, the difference between Christianity and every other religion is that Christianity is a, a religion, a worldview of good news, not good advice. And all, of the, all the, of the things that David Foster Wallace talked about in his, his worship uh, explanation, they're all things that at their core try to teach us how to save ourselves, how to save yourself through sex, how to save yourself through money, how to save yourself through beauty, how to save yourself through politics and power. Only the gospel comes to us as a message of grace and says, this is what God has done to come and save you. 
surrender to him. Everything else will wear us out and kill us, and only the gospel of grace will rescue us. Let me close with this. I read a story this week uh, about a man whose family would go to the beach often. And uh, every time they would go to the beach, they would look for signs, you know, uh, for a riptide. And if there's a riptide, the sign would be up. And if the riptide sign was up, then they would tell the same story that they always told uh, about their grandfather who one day almost died in a riptide. Uh, For those of you who don't know, riptide is whenever the current, I don't, this is my, you know, five-year-old explanation, understanding of this, right? But the water in the riptide is moving so uh, in such a way as that unconsciously you can be pulled by it out into the ocean. Like it just pulls you out. And what people tend to do when they are caught in the riptide is they do what we would all naturally do. They turn around and they start swimming against the current. And they swim against the current so hard that they wear themselves out and they're taken out into the ocean and they pass away because they can't beat the riptide. They drown. So they always tell this story to their family so that our kids know how to handle the riptide. And the story is this, that the grandfather was out swimming in the ocean. He was pulled out by the riptide. But instead of swimming against the riptide, he allowed the current to pull him out to the ocean to where the waters were calm. And there was a man who was in the water who rescued him, who saved him. And that's how he lived, and that's how he survived the riptide. Well, worship is this current that we're all being pulled into. We're all being um, sucked into. And our our tendency in this worship is to swim against the tide, to to swim against it. What all these other things, all these other gods, all these other things are telling us to do is to work to save ourselves, to swim against the current under our own energy, our own merit, our own power. And the more we do that, the more we were bringing ourselves to death. But the gospel is a current of water that pulls us out by grace. And we get out into the water. What do we find in the deep? We find Jesus who rescues us. Not because of our own merit, but because of what he's done for us. That's the current that we get into every week when we come in here. We surrender ourselves to Jesus and his grace. We surrender our minds to him, our hearts to him, and our hands to him. That's how we find life as a church and as individuals. So let's go to God and ask that he would make that true of us more and more. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for for worship, for the the, the chance to come into your presence and worship and serve you. There's nothing greater that we could be doing right now than being here with you and your people, experiencing your goodness and grace. Thank you. I pray that that the gospel would dwell in us richly as individuals and as a church. And that we would use our heads and our hands and our heart to worship you with all that we are, wherever we are. Father, we can't do that on our own. We need your grace. We need your spirit. We need your son. We pray, Father. We pray that you would save us from all false worship. Make us true worshipers that worship you in spirit and in truth. And make us the type of people that want to see your grace change everything in Tulsa and beyond. 
We pray this in Jesus' name and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so, as we've been doing now for the last several weeks, we're going to confess our faith together from the Apostles' Creed. They said, we don't check our heads at the doors. We engage our minds as we worship God. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we come to the table, we come to a reenactment of the gospel. Uh, This is the offer of Jesus Christ, that his body was broken for us on the cross, that his blood was shed for us on the cross. And in John 6, he tells us, whoever eats my body and drinks my blood will never perish, but will have eternal life. And so as we come, we come as worshipers, worshiping him in spirit and truth. We have taken his name upon us, and now we're taking his body and his blood into us. And by the Holy Spirit, we're transformed during this moment. Um, This meal is not the meal of grace and peace or the PCA or the Acts 29. This is the meal of the Lord Jesus Christ and all who are in him, in his name. And it's that reason that when we come and take communion, this is an invitation for all who have been baptized in the church of Jesus Christ. Because when you're baptized in the Christ church, you take on his name. And for all who have made a public profession of their faith in Christ, Right? You've, you've stood up and you've said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I worship and serve him alone. I've taken his name on me in baptism, and now I am eating and drinking of his body in worship of his people. And so if you, are, if you have been baptized in the Christian church and you've made a public profession of faith, of your faith in him, then we invite you to come and take this meal. This is your meal. This is an invitation for you. If you've not done that, if you've not been made a public profession of faith and been baptized, we actually sit and wait and actually come and talk to us about what does that mean to be baptized into Jesus' name, into his church, and to put my faith in him to be saved. We're glad that you're here. We, we want you to be a part of our worship service. We want you to do so in good conscience, and we want you to be able to take this meal in good conscience. Uh, let's pray that as we eat, uh, Christ will be with us spiritually. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for these elements. We pray that you would um, that you would enliven them by your Holy Spirit to help us to nourish you, to transform us from one glory into the next so that we, we might be people that worship and serve you in all of life for everything that we have. We thank you for our friends here who have, have not yet made that public profession of Christ, who have not taken um, your name on them in baptism. We pray that they would do that. We pray that they would... Um, give themselves to you entirely, fully. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. That which I received, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had broken it, when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, given for you. As often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. In a like manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
As often as you drink this, do in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes.
Grace and peace. Let's please stand for our last song. shackles and chains I've been freed and forgiven I'm not going back I'll never be the same There's a kind of thing that just breaks a man. Break him down to his knees. God, I've been broken more than a time or two. Then he picked me up and showed me what it means to be.
thank you guys again for coming to worship with us this morning. It's, it's such a privilege to be here. You know, uh, the worship service and that the service of worship, of, of giving to God what he is due. Uh, that worship doesn't stop here. It continues as we greet each other, as we talk, as we go into homes, as we get in small groups. Uh, you should have a small group handout here in your uh, in the bulletin. It's got all of our small groups listed on it. We would love for everyone to be involved in some type of small group. So, so find something that works for you. If there's not something that works for you, then let us know, and we'll try to uh, find. We'll try to create another one. We'll try to find another one. But we want to worship God uh, as a group in community all week long. Uh, so check that out. Um, we also will have, um, if you need prayer for healing or anything, we have an elder uh, who will be up here at the front. Uh, one of them, guys, Ricky is sick this morning, so uh, I need one of you elders to come on up here. Uh, vol- volunteer to come up. You're going to get voluntold to come on up here. Tyler is going to come up here. Thank you, Tyler. He was sensing the spirit leading him to come up here. Tyler will be here to pray with you. Uh, visitors, I'll be out the door. we got several visitors this morning. I would love to meet you and get to know you and welcome you to Grace and Peace. Uh, if you want to give us your information, you can put it in the, the info sheet in the offering baskets in the back, or you can meet me out at the back door. Uh, we are going to stack up all the chairs except for the first four rows. Leave those, uh, and, and that's it. Um, thank you guys again for coming. As you go, uh, go with the Lord's blessing. We call this the benediction. And this is often what uh, writers of Scripture and people in Scripture would give to their people as a parting word. And this is God's parting word to you as you go out to worship Him and serve Him wherever you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace both now and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may go in peace.